This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show, the award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and today we have a very special guest, Sean O'Toole. Sean O'Toole is CEO, founder of Property Radar, the property data and owner information platform real estate pros have trusted since 2007 to do billions of dollars in deals. Sean got a start with data in Silicon Valley during the dot-com boom. After the dot-com bubble burst, Sean flipped properties for five years, getting out near the peak. Sean uh, launched Foreclosure Radar in early 2007 before anyone heard the foreclosure crisis was coming. In 2013, he relaunched Foreclosure Radar as Property Radar, a greatly expanded property data and owner information platform, serving a broader audience of real estate professionals. Today, Property Radar remains the go-to platform for data-driven real estate professionals intent on leveraging comprehensive property data and owner information to grow their business directly. John, it's been been a long time. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah, things are things are uh, really good for us. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. You know, it's funny. Um, I thought about you and a lunch that we had with somebody a long time ago. You remember Eric Jensen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, I just opened his book and it uh, it has a lot to do with talking about inflation and all, all the policies and things like that. And I was, I was, I even looked up online to see if he'd written a sequel. Do you still I know? Do you still, are you in contact with him at all? I am. And uh, he's actually the founder now of a pretty innovative uh, virtual reality uh, company. And we'll still talk a little bit of economics, but he's, he's not putting the time and effort into that, at least publicly as he was before. Okay. Well, I know we're going to cross into some some of that word that world too, virtual reality. So what's since you brought it up, <laughs> how does that create revenue for him and what what does that entail? I'm just curious. So he started off with a um, an exercise bike and that uh, that was gamified. So you put on the the goggles, the virtual reality goggles and it <laughs> transports you into a different world and you're on a bike and then, uh, he had different games and and like, you know, like, but for example, you could fly and the, you know, the faster you pedal, the higher you go and, you know, things like that. And, uh, and kind of trying to gamify exercise and make it fun. And, uh, but, you know, and I still think they, they do that, but uh, they have a really innovative, one of the hard parts in virtual reality is, is how do you move around, right? Because you're, you're usually stuck in one place or in a small room. So how do you, pretend like you're running across great areas or things like that. Um, <laughs> I've seen some funny videos where people actually attempt to do that or, and smash their, you know, their TV off of the wall. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> Happens all the time. You know, uh, for the the Facebook, the Oculus one, Bruce, there is an amazing uh, boxing game that I think you would absolutely love. And you can box with friends. So you and I could <laughs> across the country put these things on and have a boxing match just for fun. Like, I mean, I think people would pay to watch that. Oh, my God. You know what's so funny about, you know, one of the things that I remember most about you and our, you and uh, my interaction is every time we got into 
we're going to the uh, the event at the Nixon Library, and we're we're in the limo, and I I'm you were just talking, and you bring up stuff I've never even heard about. <laughs> every every time, so you know you you're talking about three D printing. Now this was this is a long time ago, long time ago, uh, and, and I'm like, what? And you <laughs> you know you tell me what it is, and I'm just going. And I, I get home that night, and I remember I have to look this up. And there was already an example of there was this kid that was born with a defective heart, and they took a scan of his heart and printed his heart so the doctor could hold the defective heart and know exactly where to fix it. I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, that's just crazy stuff. Now, your son is involved in something that's connected with 3D printing as a business, right? He has a 3D printing business and he's in school for mechanical engineering. Um, So, yeah, that definitely uh, has done a lot there. Well, what was cool about that, that was well thought out because I remember you go back to your being young. Your dad bought you a present when you were 10. Yep. And what was that present? It was an Apple II. And uh, yeah, early Apple II. Um, So 1978. I was born in 67, but I was still 10 in 78. And um, yeah, and uh, it really, you know, changed my life. Uh, I went out and did sailing and did normal kid stuff during the day. But my bedroom was on the other end of the house from my my parents. And so Mm -hmm. I would stay up till two, three, four in the morning. you know, playing with this computer and there wasn't much to do with computers and there weren't a lot of games and stuff. So I learned to program and it just, it gave me every real opportunity I've had an adult in my life. Well, you also improved an entire industry. (laughs) I mean, actually there's no doubt about that because that's one of the things that foreclosure radar, you know, with, you know, after, after the dot com stuff and you kind of, how did you get into the property buying business by the way? Cause that's uh that wasn't an easy transfer of, you know, what you were doing to that. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a long story. I'll try to make it super that, short. That's uh, all right. After the dot-com crash, uh, I left Silicon Valley, moved to my vacation house, took a year off, um, but started hanging out with a, a buddy who had all this, I was not working. My, this guy across the street had all this free time. Uh, he was a commercial real estate developer, but he was making a few million bucks a year or maybe more, right? And he had all this free time. And I was like, I was really like, how does <laughs> what that do you work? Do? <laughs> right? What do you do? And um, he introduced me to a friend of his that was uh, buying foreclosures and literally like writing stuff down on uh, uh, Polaroids and keeping these things in a shoebox to kind of organize. And I'm like, he's like, you got to go write software for this guy. And, you know, we talk about in California, the 40 thieves. And I'm like, I'm not writing software for 40 people. I want to write software for millions. Right. Right. Uh, but then he gave me his deals and I saw the uh, the profits he was making. And I did OK in Silicon Valley. And I'm like, well, if I can make that kind of money and have my friend's lifestyle, uh, yeah, that sounds better than going back to Silicon Valley and killing myself <laughs> another startup. I remember the yield was some ridiculous thing. I remember you asked him for basically his annual yield and it was like 70 or some percent. 80, 80 per, and he didn't know. Right. So he right, I remember idea. that. Yeah. And, um, and <laughs> so he finally said, well, here's all my files for last year. And he had these meticulous file folders, each one like an inch thick. And he said, why don't you take 
all of my deals for the last year. And because what I wanted to know, I can see how you can make money on a deal, but can you keep your money invested often enough that if you have a pool of capital that you can make a decent return on that, right? Because, you know, you got 2 million bucks, but you only keep, you only do two deals in a year and you make a really good return on those two deals, but it's just a, it may not make a very good return on the money. So I want to yeah, you have too much dorm, capital, right? Including when it sat in the bank and it was an 80% annual return on his pool of capital, even with the time it sat in the bank. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you got in, there wasn't really a reliable source of data. It was treacherous and it was always wrong and inaccurate you spent so much time going to sales that never were going to occur that day it was it was tough and it wasn't it wasn't inexpensive either the data wasn't uh, inexpensive the data that was available wasn't inexpensive for sure and um, you know and that's just my nature right i'm a software guy problem solver and so i faced that problem early on built a system for myself and then in 2000 you know, took that and made it available for, we had to rebuild it. So when I made it for myself as for tech folks out there was single tenant, I needed to rebuild it as a multi-tenant solution. In other words, handle lots of customers rather than just one me. Yeah. uh, Rebuilt the whole thing. And, uh, and that's what I went to market with in 2007. And you changed the cost of getting the data by, uh, I mean, probably 90%. It was crazy. Well, it was kind of dumb, you know, so you had the the realty track and foreclosure.com folks out there that charged 50 bucks a month for notices, but you couldn't really use those services to go bid at the trustee sale auctions. And the services that did help you get data that was, you know, more timely, more accurate, et cetera, that you could use for that still didn't include like transaction history, title history, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we're very expensive. Um, and that's kind of what I built had built for myself. But the only pricing out there was these, you know, low end, you know, foreclosure notice services, realty track and foreclosure, and they charge 50 bucks. So I charged 50 bucks. <laughs> I probably could have charged 5,000. And you know, it was dumb. yeah, you'd have had you'd have had less of a, an audience, but you the guys that paid the five grand that did it full time would go and recognize the value. That's for sure. Yeah, but, no, that I got so many phone calls from the long-term players going, well, what are you doing? You're not charging enough for this. And you're well, that's right. too many competitors. And, I, you know, we're angry that you're not charging. <laughs> well, that's interesting that that is said, because when I went to the trustee sale business originally, I mean, if there were three people there, including you, that was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have, you know, have an audience now, like it's a, like a, it's a public auction, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. So yeah. yeah, it definitely, definitely made it easier for many more people to participate. That That's for sure. Um, Again, when we were in that limo, there were a couple things that came up and I'm, I'm really trying to think about one of the things that you said to me, and I always, I always thought about this is that one of the main problems that we're going to have to think about is how to have society when we have 50% unemployment. And, you know, if I didn't know you, I'd blow that off and go, okay, well, that's ridiculous. 
But then I start looking at some of these things. Um, I, like if I watch Elon Musk's factory build cars, there's an element that's missing. It's a human being. Um, and then you look at the self-driving cars making progression. And you, you and I talked about that. I had never even heard of that concept until I was in that limo one year. So that was, you know, you knew that way, way before that was that was coming. You know, they don't talk about this much, but go look at the stats on McDonald's and the number of people they employ. So McDonald's has been deploying more and more and more technology in their stores. And I think their total employment, I, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but something like 50%. And that's not because Whoa. they closed half their stores. Wow. Um, and, and and I could be I could be off there because um, I you know I, I haven't followed it that closely. But there's lots of examples of this in places that you wouldn't think in places where you don't see. Well, yeah, that you know just happened to watch some things about Elon Musk because one of the one of the articles or programs I just saw is that he's he's reduced his robots by 80% in the front por portion of building the Tesla. And you're going, okay, they eliminated 100% of the people on the front end, and now they're <laughs> replacing the robots with more efficient. Uh, so I'll just kind of shake your head and go, okay, wow. Bruce, I was just watching an episode of the, the Mandalorian last night, and they were in this world where the robots were doing all of the work. They had voted to have the robots do all of the work. They had some rogue robots that were like hurting people. And so the question was like, well, why don't you just turn the robots off? You're in control. Oh, no, we can't do that because then nobody would be able to do anything. <laughs> they really couldn't do anything because the robots had taken over every aspect of labor and everything in this in this world. It's funny. So I just uh, looked up the uh, McDonald's uh, uh, stats. So number of McDonald's locations in 2022 is 40,000. Right. Okay. In 2012, it was 34,000. Okay. Um, and uh, in 2012, they had 440,000 employees, and today they have 150,000. Oh. <laughs> Are they selling less burgers? <laughs> Well, no, and their their uh, revenues are up as well, and their profitability was one of the like I think in uh, 2021 it was one of their highest profit uh, years in a long time. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's just it's one of uh, so well. Here's their annual revenue was 23 billion in 2022. It was 27 billion in 2012. So the revenue is down some, but you know revenues down about 10 percent and employment's down what. 60 percent wow that that's really interesting okay um when we talked about originally you talked about this self-driving cars you were trying to explain to me because i said uh i remember saying this almost exactly i said oh yeah i can't wait till i'm driving next to an unmanned car basically <laughs> and, and, you, and and you said to me that um well that car will be driving safer than you can. And you tried to explain to me that simultaneously that computer is making the best decision, not just to avoid something with me, but to avoid something with everything at the same time. And right. then you didn't remember the rock, paper, scissor example you used that, that 
If you play that game against this computer, you get beat 100% of the time because it picks up what you're going to do. So how far has that progressed? And and the reason that's, uh, what, what industry does that uh, disrupt more than any? Yeah, you know, uh, I think, you know, so and I'm going to just backtrack just a little bit, right? Okay. One of the things on like self-driving cars um, is I, I believe in that statement in the long term and in most scenarios, right? It the the reaction of the computer is faster than our human reaction. Period. Right. Okay. So that that's true. What gets hard is all the things that happen in the real world, right? Like um, I live in snow country, and right now most of the lines are missing from the roads. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I, I kind of know where those lines used to be. I kind of have a feel for it, right? Like, and computer, you know, I have a car that has a self-driving mode and it, the lines go away and it goes, ah, you know, and it, 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 it can't, it can't do anything. So it, training, you know, th- th- I guess there's a difference. So the reaction time is better than humans, right? Right. But the best computers are nowhere near our brain, right? So there, there's this balance of things. And it's getting better and better. Moore's law, computer power continues to increase. These models continue to increase. You take something like chat GPT. I don't know if you're following that. Large language models. They oh, can here. way more information than we ever personally can. Yeah. But they're, the computers that are processing that information still aren't as powerful as our as our mind. So there there is a balance there um, where, you know, uh, and the last 1%, 2%, like getting most of self-driving working is really pretty easy. Like you can do that as a high school kid if you go dive into this stuff. Okay. But getting that last few percent right, which really is what's going to ultimately make it safe, is really, really hard. Okay. All right. It's funny because I wrote down, I, I wrote down by from memory chat C D K, and then I looked it up and I had, oh yeah GPT. So yeah, I'm an expert on that. <laughs> but but I, it was one of the things I was going to ask you about. That's uh, here's what came up recently, and it kind of blew me away. So John Burns, you know who he is. Yep. So I absolutely. So I, yeah, so I asked him, I said, I wonder what the value of $11 trillion of mortgage debt is that was written for 30 years at, you know, 4%, let's say. Yeah. I, I Within 15 seconds, I get a response and he copies what chat GPT <laughs> said. <laughs> and it was, it was an explanation and then a formula that looked like it was crazy, some calculus formula, and gave you a book value of all of that. And of course, it probably was done in three seconds at 67 cents on the dollar. Now, that was kind of an aha moment for me because I'm just thinking, well, if it can respond to something that technical instantly, what the heck is it doing to some other industries? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it can write software. Like, well, I've seen I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's very impressive. But here's the before people get too scared, here's the yeah. thing that you have to remember, right? So it's gone out and it's consumed all this information basically on the internet, right? And so you have all these code repositories like, you know, um, GitHub and other things that have example programming and it's eaten all of that, right? 
and it kind of understands it and it can start putting it in context and it's incredible. But if you ask it something where there's no information about that thing on the internet, it can't answer, right? So when it, it can't think of new things that don't exist yet, it can't think of it data that doesn't exist on the, you know, so for example, if you ask it about real estate statistics, if somebody's published that particular statistic you're looking for, it will be able to essentially quote it or rephrase it. But if that statistic you're looking for is just in the raw data, it doesn't have access to all that raw data, it can't, it can't answer. So there's still major limitations in what it can and can't do. But, you know, you want to ask about, you know, um, which liens are wiped out in a foreclosure in Louisiana, right? Like it's going to, if it can find some references to that, um, it's going to give you a pretty good answer, probably a better answer than most humans. Bruce, I have two questions for Sean really quick. Okay. Um, one on, on the driving, does does access to the internet or, you know, being able to stay, you know, connected have anything to do with, you know, the car still being able to function? Like I go out to the desert and now there's no cell services. It's still going to be able to continue to service. And how, you know, with the society and how reactive everybody is to media, you know, how long before somebody gets run over or gets in an accident and, oh, it was the unmanned car. Well, so keep in mind that we as humans kill people every day with cars, right? So the 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 unmanned car kills somebody is the wrong measure. The right measure is does it kill fewer people than human drivers do? There's a lot of really bad human drivers on the road, right? Um, I personally know some that I just I'm waiting for them to kill somebody because they're such bad drivers, right? So um, so we. we this is one of the problems and it's also one of the problems just in media right like the soundbite headlines right like, right oh you know self-driving car kills somebody oh my god self-driving cars are bad but self-driving car kills one person you know a thousand fewer than people killed today oh okay that looks pretty good right um so we need to be careful about how we consume that that kind of information and how we think about it. Uh self-driving cars are going to kill people. There's no question. Right? The question is do they kill fewer people? And then on the connected thing, right? So one of the, you know, one of the things that gets really powerful is you can take a large set of information and compile it down to algorithms that can be executed on very uh, quickly. So this is, um, you know, like the large language models and other things is, is how do you take large pieces of information and turn them into uh, your $11 trillion or your $11 trillion mortgage question, right? And then right. popped out a formula, right? So that's taking that question and, 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 you know, you could go do line by line data analysis, but you can probably, you know, turn it into a formula that gets you an approximation pretty quickly based on the existing data and what the trends we've seen and, and all the rest. So the cars, big picture, what I'm trying to say is we're going to see these things, um, that self-driving engine collapsed into algorithms that can live in the car and don't require connectedness. They can be improved with connectedness and they can improve from learning from the cars around them. 
And this is where it gets really interesting is when we start having the cars talk to each other, right? So we could have everybody traveling at 200 miles an hour, six inches apart, if all the cars are talking, right? And the car in the front, you know, maybe has a lead car that's even farther, whatever. And like, and they know everything that's coming because it's all happening in real time. And if there's any disruption, that instantly gets communicated back. Um, so like there's so much that's possible, but the, right now, all these cars are self-driving by themselves. We get them talking to each other. It becomes even safer. Since Elon Musk came up, uh, what do you think? What do you do you have an opinion on his warning about pausing the AI learning? Um, you know, it's not. It's it's a debate we should definitely be having, and it should be the most important things Democrats and Republicans, you know, that kind of thing should be the most important thing Democrats and Republicans are talking about and Congress is talking about. And we we don't elect people smart enough to talk about these things. There, There's probably 2% of our elected officials that are smart enough to have real conversations about the things that matter for our future. I remember when the when the mortgage crisis hit and there was discussion on uh, at the Senate and and Congress and you know they were trying to comprehend how the mortgages were funded and all that and you realize holy cow you're making policies and you haven't got any clue and and politicians still haven't taken enough blame for the 2008 crisis right like right. so it was the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act that repealed Glass-Steagall. We right. still didn't put Glass-Steagall back in place. We didn't fix that after, you know, and that was Graham-Leach-Bliley, all Republicans, but signed by Clinton and Democrat, right? Yeah, Commodity Futures Modernization Act allowed these mortgage-backed securities and allowed these fake insurance products that had no backing behind them, right? And that, that still really hasn't changed and again, Republicans and Democrats voted for that. I mean, it, it's and we didn't fix any of it. Hey, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Norris Group Real Estate Radio Show and Podcast. Be sure to join us for part two of our conversation with Property Radar's Sean O'Toole. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.